la 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 You're listening to Silver Threads, the podcast celebrating 25 years of the Hares and Hyenas bookstore in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Supported by the UNESCO City of Literature Known Bookshops Fund, in association with the Australian Lesbian and Gay Archives, and in partnership with Melbourne Library Service. Warning, the following program contains explicit content and themes. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Silver Threads podcast. In this episode, we listen as writers go head-to-head for just six minutes in one of the Hares and Hyenas' legendary rapid-fire events. Rochelle. Oh, no, Marley. Marley. Marley Jane. Yes. And about uh, Marley? Oh, what would you like to know? What would you like to know? She's a writer, reader, a widow, her debut novella. Welcome to Orphan Hall. What did you think of that, Crusader? Well, for one thing, it won the uh, Premier's Award for Best Young Adult Book in 2015, I think it was. And um, Rob and I very rarely agree on the great books we love, because he always loves a different great book. I thought a little... Crusader's always present. A little life was just boring, and he loved it. We both, like, loved your book. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it means that maybe we were both wrong. <laughs> she loves sci-fi babes and cats, as well as making a spectacle of herself. Oh, that's it. That's it. So here's Marley. And she's back in March for another event.
People would move forward through their hate and their contention and come out on the other side, their minds wide and free. I thought the future would be better, progress, not regress. But old white men get to make the future, men who won't live to see the outcome. When will we get to make the future, we who have to live in it? I want to be political. I want to stand up and say something, but every new day brings a stab in the guts. And every time I open my social media feed, I feel my jaw clench and my fingers shrivel up. How do I balance my mental health with my political responsibility? I have pills that help curb my furiousness so that I can lead a life where the slightest slight might not make me erupt with boiling rage. But maybe the world needs fury right now, so should I stop taking them? Do I sacrifice my mental health to become a warrior? Does everyone? How long do we fight? And, how can, we, and can we do it long enough that we don't get overwhelmed with fatigue? I'm exhausted already, and it's only been a week. We've got to take our cues from people of colour and the queers and the trans who have been fighting all this time and continue to fight. They've been battling for longer than we can imagine. We've got to take a seat, shut up and listen, because they have a thing or two to tell us, a thing or two to tell us about how the good fight will be hard and it will feel like it might never end. And they will tell us how to keep going so that we can all keep going. We've got to learn from past allies, real allies who put their lives on the line when the shit came down. And the punishment was not just a slap on the ass and a good surf from Twitter trolls, but real, really real ugly death. Read about past resistance. Learn to be a good ally and not just all talk. This is going to take more than being just mad on the internet. This is going to take everything we have. I don't want to have to write dystopias. I do it because I see things in the world that need to be taken to their most hideous conclusions as a warning. I feel like the world has not learned from all the writers who scribe their visions of the worst possible futures. Don't just go out now and buy a copy of 1984. Read living writers who are today asking what if this continues and fighting to warn the world of what might be in the best way that they can. I don't want to have to write dystopias, but I will because art can be a warning. It's the songbird deep down in a mind breathing the deadly gas first and bowing out early. Don't stop making. People need it more now than ever. Take everything that makes you furious and turn it into art. I love to write dystopias. I just never thought I'd live in one. And I don't think fiction has prepared me enough for fact. I'm not some chosen one, some YA heroine Katniss Everdeen or Harry Potter type. I'm just some babe at a computer putting words on pages. I wasn't prepared for this, but who was? I love a good dystopia, but I like my dystopias to be fiction. Two writers haven't turned up tonight. We're breaking the rules tonight, okay? Roland, you're not here, so you can't say that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. <laughs> break. I didn't hear that. Okay, you're doing your next story uh, now. Is it because it was so short? Oh, it was three minutes, 55 seconds, was it, Roland? Four minutes, point eight nine seconds. I did a lot better than I thought I would. You did. You did 12 <laughs> seconds less than you suggested. So, <laughs> you are again. Salt water grass washed up on shore, rotting. 
Otherwise, the place was all sunshine, beaches, and bikini babes. But I was more of an indoor girl. I since learned there's nothing wrong with bikini babes, but it was hard not to hate them as I stood on the beach, all chunky and pale, in my one piece, miserable inside my body and inside the town. I was a girl with big tits growing up in a small town. My mother, in denial, would not buy me a bra until I had C-cups, epic handful-sized mounds of flesh that rippled and jiggled as I tried to keep them inside the stretched confines of my crop tops. My sexuality emerged alongside my breasts, and it too grew to epic proportions. I went to bed early most nights to spend precious time alone making love to myself. It was the only way I loved myself at all. I showed my tits to the boys so that they would like me, and they did, but only when no one was around. We'd spend hazy days in secret on the lake, and their touch would make me burn like they pressed the sun to my skin. But in public, they wouldn't look at me. I ached for touch, but I could not find anyone to fuck me. I was a bi girl growing up in a small town. I got outed early, and being outed in a tiny town in the 90s was not my idea of gay abandon. My friend said, look at all this trouble you've caused. Can't you just not like girls? And I wasn't sure what to say. He was like, can't you just not drink water? Can't you just not breathe there? I didn't understand. Didn't everyone want to watch that scene in Titanic where Kate Winslet takes her top off, winding the tape over and over again? Didn't everyone get those in-between legs tingles when they watch wild things at the cinema and squirm and cough and blush? But all the girls knew who to go to when they wanted to experiment, and I was down with research. <laughs> I explored the shit out of their minds, mouths and tongues and tits, you know, for science. <laughs> I was a smart girl in a small town, but I wasn't the smartest, the kind who could win spots in selected schools. With a deficit of attention, I knew there was a thing called studying, but could not work out how it was done. There was no point being smart in my small town, and classes were like barroom brawls. It took a lot of effort to learn anything, and I was not good at effort. The worst thing you could do in my town was try too hard. I longed to try hard, but knew from experience that if I stuck my head out too far, my peers would guillotine it from my neck. Spent a lot of time in the library in my small town because books did not judge and they gave me a view of the wider world and worlds within worlds and visions of what the world might be. And I wanted the world and I knew I just had to wait and waiting was agony. I was a crazy girl growing up in a small town. I walked around with my brain screaming at all times. Some days I felt like I was nobody, just a waiting head so big it looked ready to burst the confines of my little beach on cloud. I was the wrong girl to grow up in a small town. So one day I took $50 in a bag and I left to seek my destiny. And then I was a small girl in a big town and I had a lot of growing up to do. I want to take every weird girl growing up in a small town in my arms and tell them that the world is big, as big as their hearts, and soon they'll get into it. That their dry, scrubland, ocean-hugging, weatherboard town won't be all that they'll ever know. Because it means that you have forfeited the drink because you were close to winning it. Yes, you were. Roland was our home. We shouldn't have done that, should we? We shouldn't have because it's thin end of the beach. It is. That's right. We have got another eight performers. So Actually, at the moment, we only have another six. Oh, thank God. Have we got one more before the break? Yes, Rochelle Silva. How about that? Can we please introduce a third?
So Rochelle has actually done quite a few rapid fires over the years. Thirty-nine of them, Christina. Well, we've only done the thirty-nine. She hasn't done them all. I promise you that. Uh, she writes about the things she knows. She has love affairs with trees and hopes to live in a treehouse someday. Ron wants to live in a caravan. Does that sort of count? Like, <laughs> but you could combine the two. You could actually put the caravan in the tree. Well, you, you have to plant the tree first and let it grow with the caravan on top. She is more poet than human and has perfect bottle opening hands. Her most current life goal is to disappear into the mountains. Come to the wrong city, I'm sorry. It's your first time back in a few months since you've been living in India for a few years, and it's so beautiful to have you back on our stage. shadows on the cool concrete and continue whispering questions to no one in particular. See, I've never been particularly good at leaving thoughts unfound. They circle, in, they spiral in cyclones, leaving me no place to hide, so I sit, petrified. Slowly, I try to imagine my life without you. Extricate your hand from mine and imagine myself in a place that we have never been. Initially, my sinews revolt, but I soldier on. Repeat the exercise stuck in a loop like a hamster on a wheel. I retrace your steps, replace objects that you have picked up, change the sheets, bottle up your smell, and leave it open to evaporate. I'm a victim, perpetrator, mad scientist, I am the one I will blame, and the only person that I will penalize. You will be left unscathed, abandoned like an unfinished thought. I will not yell or whimper. You will no longer remember the gift of my voice, or my smile, or my touch. See, it is because I know my patterns well that I must do. Get stuck in this haze of happiness and let my guard down every single time. The night watchman, should that fall asleep, serves him well that pounding that he got left bloodied and broken, he will still lead him to sleep. Into that comfort and that relief and that warmth and that familiarity that he must learn, as must I. But the only lesson worth knowing, the only way to not get beat up or fall asleep on the job is by not belonging. Fictitious, floating in limbo, more safe than your mother's womb, hold that guarantee of nothing. Give it a name and a place and a shape so it can be whatever you need when you need it. See, it's not mortality that is scary, it is getting used to this living. This life that is all-consuming and apathetic that tells me I am one half-idea, education, experience, love of human being. I don't, I hope I never 
wait long enough to know what the birds are thinking. Thank you. Hello. I was inspired, Taylor. Yes. By? By the um, I was inspired by the blockades in the American airports. Yeah. Whoa! And I think it shows that people can change what seems to be already vision. True. Can I ask you one other thing? Oh, God. Have you ever been attracted to Donald Trump? No. Thank you. You can stay living here. But then I, I wouldn't call him a conservative. What would you call him? An um, narcissist. I think he's a, just a narcissist. And a nihilist. And a nihilist. All those is. Yes. He's okay. just a cunt. Yeah. No. He's not deep and warm. No. He doesn't have the depth and warmth of a cunt. I promise you that. He's a shankrow. Yeah. What's a shankrow? Oh, oh. <laughs> I was going to say, which shankrow was he? Simulus is not really so bad. You just get an injection. It's fine. Okay. Reverse butcher. Reverse butcher. Yeah. When reverse butcher grows up, she wants to be a very well-read recluse. Sometimes she makes treasures out of the things she finds and leaves them in places for you to find. But only if you're good. And reverse work here for three years. Basically. Here is and reverse butchers. Magic 
and held kiss that beach still on me. Revenge not useful. Magic owns no one. The warm cornea swept, the earth's mental, a heart monsoon that will share our torment. Summoning red magic radiation and held an enriched low worst. Revenge not useful. Light not phosphorescence. It's war. It's mechanical mutation. Low touch, scream, trigger attack. Gathering packs to light up extraterrestrial cigarettes, mere specks against the velvet hell of total absence. Magic insects come on. Revenge not useful. Call down a phosphorescence. Call down war. A haunt. Call down. A haunting. A cancer. A riot. Red magic. Radiation. A held. You're going to need an exorcism. You're going to need an exorcism. Revenge not dance may light a pernite phosphorescent metaphor for a future called down or a haunt uncomplicated. Dance serene a perfect metaphor for swimming a future red magic radiation a held. Uncomplicated. Magic insects coming. Revenge not useful. Light not phosphorescence. You're going to leave all down or a haunting, an exorcism. Scream. Swimming, red magic, radiation, a held kiss. Magic insects coven, revenge not useful. Light, not phosphorescence. You're going to need all down water, a haunting, an exorcism. Screaming. Swimming. Red magic. Radiation. A held. Kiss.
Yeah. There's the other one, Chris. Wacko! That's about all I can say. Wacko! That was fantastic. But that's my critique of, of reverse books of peace. Wacko! <laughs> oh, I was going to put my back on the stand. I'm not even sure if I'm on. Can anyone yeah. hear me out there? I can hear you, Chris. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. With no fallback at all? No. No. No fallback. No. That's pretty amazing. Who's on next? Who's on next is Carly Sopsky. And? She, she's a Polish and Australian spoken word artist. And she prints her bio, which is really nice. And? Romans, yes. That goes against every rapid fire rule. It's all waiting for oh, to be on one side of an index card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is a. The thicker end of the wedge, Crusader. You let someone read two pieces, and next thing you know, someone's printed a whole, a whole manifesto. You find really good. Right. So read the manifesto. Okay, I'll start at the top. No, I'll, I'll start. Carly's inspiration comes from her personal experiences, all aspects of her life, and the people she is surrounded by. Carly is greatly concerned with using art as a method of speaking out about social, economic and political inequality. She encourages her audience towards critical thinking and to consider the weight of their own powers of citizens with specific regard to the inhumane policies backed by the Australian government controlled by less than the 1%. Kylie, however, enjoys a diverse repertoire, and many of her poems discuss her experiences as a transgender woman. Kylie is passionate about personal autonomy and exploring the beauty of being alive. Can I also say, I'm making a call tonight for the rest of the readers tonight. Use this microphone because you're getting a better sound through it. Would you agree, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, we're going to do this one first. So, do we have to repeat the bio? Here's Kylie. This music in the background is by an elder musician, and this is called Oculus. From Twelman. And as mentioned, I'm Kalisubski. <laughs> Colors for my daughter. A quote for poems I lack rainbows. They escape you quickly, Livingstone hues from the big sea. Words like colors are just reflections in a mirror of the mind. Can equation of words solve a mystery? Of colors. What is a color of poetry? A poem is colorless until its luminescence 
is released by chemical interactions of words and a reader. How many colors are in the kaleidoscope of love? I counted four and then I lost count, distracted by love. What is the color of time? Is it a color of sand in the hourglass? But the hourglass is not a proof that time exists. What is the color of silence? Is it translucent, like loneliness that makes us unnoticed and unheard? What is the color of depression? Someone said it is blue, not black, but in darkness we all imagine so much more, more than there is. How many colors do we really see? We often say black and white. We often judge right and wrong. Are we all color blind? What is the color of coffee? Is it brown or is it a color of tears, a color of sweat, a color of blood, a color of slavery? How many colors are in the alphabet of history? There is only one, a color of war, with all its misery, misery of death. What is the color of religion? Is it a color of superstition, a color of hopelessness, a color of righteousness? A color of an eye for an eye? Or is it a color of hope for afterlife as promised by God? What is the color of hate? Our governments make us believe in all its shades, a color of fear, a color of ignorance, a color of misogyny, a color of homophobia, a color of racism, a color of refugees, a color of revenge. What is the color of democracy? Is it a color of freedom 
a color of equality, a color of free speech, a color of human rights, or is it a color of lies, a color of power, a color of money, a color of a loaded gun? How many colors are in the rainbow of humanity? Perhaps this equation has too many, too many unknown variables to be ever solved. Unless we see our differences as the environment infinite spectrum, spectrum of colors, colors of every, every being, breathing, in and out, in and out, in and out, bioluminescence of life. Thank you. Thank you very much. Despite, Thank you. That was very good. It was. But despite brilliance, we also have a walk of shame, don't we? Yes, I'm afraid so. Walk of shame, 46 Kari seconds. 46 seconds over six minutes. However, every once in a while we just don't turn the mic down because we want to hear the ending. But, thank you. Who's our next? What was your... Emerald. Emerald. Um, what do you know about Emerald Crusader? Well, I know that she performed here quite recently at the fourth hair hole hip hop night. That's right. Yes. Are you going to ask me why I like hip hop? Why do you like hip hop, Rowan? Tell me, please. I didn't I... answer it last time. Yeah, no, please, tell me. Well, I think uh, it's the it, it's music that, even though it's word based, is international. You can listen to it in any language. That's actually quite true. Um, normally you're not very deep. So, um, Emerald. Oh, I just realised. Emerald. <laughs> actually, that hurt. Cool. I'm going to do that back to you. He blocked. Good. Emerald is a hip hop artist from New Zealand. Oh, no. Sorry. There's already two New Zealand artists, well, people behind the bar tonight. Yes! Yeah. That's too many. Yeah. Sorry, Emerald, you're not on tonight. No, no, we were two New Zealand artists behind the bar pretending to be bar bartenders. <laughs> but anyway, Emerald is a hip hop artist from New Zealand. Lyrics have always been a favourite part of her creative process. She loves crafting words to not only deliver emotional impact, but meld into intricate flows, oh yeah, and rhyme. She first delved into the spoken you word world, thank you, Ron, when she was offered once, you, you killed my rhythm. Thank you, Ron. When she was offered a side set, on a poet's palette while performing at a festival, it goes over two pages. 
With her group, Indigo Rising, she realised she enjoyed it because it allowed her to speak free of rhythms, restriction, sorry, free of rhythmic restriction. Plus, her much said, you read the next bit? Much. Her mum said she could finally hear That's what she was saying. Up here. So here is Emerald, <laughs> stripped off the beaters with some raw lyricism. Emerald, we are so sorry. We are It was performance art in itself, an interpretation of my bio. <laughs> I'm just trying to clear my mind. I'm just trying to clear my mind. I'm just trying to clear my mind. Said I'm just trying to. Hit record and talk until my thoughts are straight. I bought the hoarded weight and wake me from a dormant state. Order and coordinate important data called ignored and store for later force it for the school records to orchestrate. Before this tape marsh, experience of the lacrescents. I don't hear no one sincere in their delivery with lyrical ability, but a million the skill in me and someone needs to be real, so yeah, I'll be a responsibility, but I'm just trying to clear my mind. I ain't trying to share my time. Yeah, so you can hear my rhymes, but I'll release them when I want it once I clear my mind. I'm trying to blur the slur of words, begin a verbal binge. Purge me of a certain irking burden I incur within. Stir internal turbulence towards a virtual surface, and it maybe make some sense out of this topsy-turvy world we can see. It's been pertinent ever since I heard the verdict and saw the floppy mop on top of that perverted, dirty grin. Controller culture too concerned with being served at Burger King. A racist got an office cops murder in Ferguson. What? Now tell me how did he deserve to win? Who would vote this person in? I'm looking at my pearly skin and I'm ashamed. My inside's the same. Why am I outside the firing range? I find it strange and I'm ashamed. We silence scientific claims and inspired to hide the blame in such a dire time of climate change. Now how was that possible? That ain't rhetorical. Two words, fossil fuel. Because then all that corporation's profits at a stop would be illogical. Who's got it though? It's pocketed and no one is responsible so... You either have a lot or a little now. The 1% or ones in debt are disappearing middle ground. Look around, we're miserable. It's difficult to figure out that hate is the only thing that ever trickled down. But I'm just trying to get these topics off my lips to stop these reoccurring dreams of the apocalypse. This is my stream of consciousness for me to process with, so I don't really give a shit if you're feeling me, if you're watching this, because I'm just trying to clear my mind. I'm just trying to clear my mind. I'm just trying to clear my mind. So I'm just trying to... It was pretty short, so I've got a couple of other little bits up my sleeve. Alright. Dirty hippie entrepreneur. Wouldn't make it past the rope, but got my name on the door. Me and the city, we got a strong rapport, but I had a bond with Papa Two and it grew long before. I got love. From the doof to the club, one foot on the stage, one foot in the mud. I'm juggling two worlds as miles apart, but I just gravitate to what inspires my art. Like backpack rap, I'm a tramping pack rapper. Hitch between the festivals, we camping at rapper. Thumb out till the summer run out, return to the streets, emerge in a work and on beats. Bush, urban repeat, big city hippie flows. Listen close, flipping that trippy shit. Keep them on their tippy toes, spit gritty, sit pretty with a spliff. Killer show, illus yo, hit him with those big city hippie flows. 
Touchdown, tell the Marine to discover it's a hell of a scene. Me, I'm just talking on the big smoke, drifting with the motion. Buildings scrape the sky so high they could rip it open. And what the fuck is FOMO? It's all going, I'm used to a pace that's so slow though. I got that laid back island energy. I'm used to serenity, small circles where the people remember me now anonymous. Thrust in this bustling metropolis, a populace hustling from high rise offices. I'm beached in the streets trying to find what my niche is. Existential crisis over penny black pizzas. Big city hippie flows. Listen close, flipping that trippy shit. Keep them on their tippy toes. Spit pretty, sit pretty with a spliff killer show, illus yo, hit him with those big city hippie flows. Every show, embryo to a memory, a sonic entity, the ebb and flow of energy. It starts with a spark and neuron fires. A line becomes a rhyme or winds into a 16. Breathe life with a mic, the entity blinks as we gently bring empty sentences of sentience and move with the motion. A word of to the beat, the beast of kinesthetic frequencies. Bass secretes into the ether as the creature breathes, speakers heave. The land, the song, the peach, the people. Each feature was ingredients of equal meter we conceive. A child born as a Born of performer's vision, a new life form, a single morphing organism, raise it up, let it go, ebb and flow of energy, resonate together forever, the sonic entity. I got one more. This one I've actually never done live before. Yeah. You scoffed when I said, but it's better to have loved and lost. Yeah, yeah, I get it. How pathetic and dumb they must have come across, but. I walk in a life with arms open, willing to be heartbroken. And I don't think that's dumb, I'd rather hear it echo than regret the words that aren't spoken. But you got your path chosen, a rolling stone, you got a network. Stress to death that when you left you'd get hurt. Well I'm just taking off my sweatshirt. Wouldn't even let me flirt with the idea that we could be solid. You're so guarded, so hard for you to acknowledge that you would even feel bothered when the two of us parted. So you did it, you hidden it, withered it, so we didn't get attached. How considerate. You couldn't have figured it before we fell asleep with our fingers in a lock, you idiot. She will take her job. Sorry, shitty handwriting. <laughs> well, that, it's, it's, it's one of those sort of hanging in the air type bios. It very much is. But however, we can I say Eleanor has been here several times. And yes. we always love it when she is here. And yes. the other night, she gave the entire jazz to the entire Australian GLBTIQ Multicultural Council's Night about sex, sexuality, and hidden desires. Is that jazz? And everything. Jesus, she gave the jazz as well, but she actually gave the jazz as well. So yes, Eleanor, we give it up to you. Thank you. Thank you.
emerald, I actually beatbox like a motherfucker, so just. Like, <laughs> yes! <laughs> but not tonight. Um, this is actually a piece of great joy for me, even though it might not sound like it initially. Conjure up the face of the one you love. Although you have had many loves, many lovers, many faces you could conjure now, there really is only one. One face that comes to your mind now when I ask you to conjure up the face of the one you love. Lay them down. Against the bed, against the floor, against the still cold of some table and see them. Faintly childlike in their slumber. The slack gentility of features. The face that you trust and love as much as an echo. Then let them be dead. Take the gentle, rising, falling of their chest and make it still. Take the quiet twitching of their eyes, running to their lethal dreams and make them still. Take the beating double drum of heart, the pump arterial, the river throb at the throat, the fingernails growing, the unable spill of their hair. The aspirated reassurance of the seeming ceaseless breath and make them still. Take them to the beach, to the ocean, the ocean at night, the night of the ocean, the cliffs to the east side, the mangroves to the west, the ocean carpet like a housewife never satisfied, a child never satisfied with a dummy, a dog never satisfied with a fat, slippery bone. Listen to the liquid tectonic hunger, the movement intractable, the ceaseless breath, the alternate glistening of the moon on the waves as they beat. Then build a raft. Lash it and stack it and build it and bind it. There are a few who will help. Ask them. It only needs to be strong enough for the task at hand. There is a man in the village who still knows how. Ask him. He has a tool like a blade or an axe, some sickle-shaped blade with a hold at each end, and for a fee, he will take it to the cool skin, the still bone, the beatless body, and he can, with just a few heavy hacks, purposeful and bleak, the willful flesh resisting the sternum holding for fierce moments before the inevitable crack and splinter. The separation of the finger ribs from the fused knuckle of bone, and he will open up the ribs that can be braced apart, slowly and with care, far enough to open up to find the heart, the lung, the liver, the pancreas, the spleen, the stomach, the soul, all of which you can feed to the dogs. <laughs> Don't waste your love. Memories, mementos, tokens, feathers, shells, letters, old rings, sea glass, lucky symbols, broken jewels, fractured stones, leather ties that were once worn in their hair, and a scrap of fabric from a dress, a key from the door, a leaf from the yard, a handful of dirt, the sucked clean stone of the peach you were eating at the moment you at last let them be still. 
like the moan which is heard in the ear and whispered in the scene of skin or instinct begin. Consecrate them with your quiet and the oceans are one. If your lover has a mother still, let her sew the body back, closing some heartbroken circle of flesh torn and bleeding. It may take longer than you think, even with all of us, palm to chest to throat to thorax to belly to hip, to bring the ribs and the skin and flesh together. The meaty, slippery sheet of your love reunited to itself, your skin's half-dressed or undressed or never dressed, or now you will make it. Their body filled with the load of your memory and all of the dogs on the beach hungry to see. If your lover has no mother, only a father, let him sew the body back. If your lover has no father, let the children make neat stitches there. If your lover has no children, no kith, no kin, no blood, no bone, then it may at last be you. Or maybe it will be you all along, the seamstress to their final dress. Maybe this is what you were earning every night when you were the last eyes open to them, earning the right to sew them and their sweet needs, dressing them for death. Find them fast. Then lay them down upon the raft. Blanket the body in logs and wood and sticks and twigs and leaves and grass and fuel for the fire ready to burn and take them out. When it is time, someone will open up a bottle of white spirit, lamp oil, kerosene, some kind of fluid ready for the light, just enough, not too much. There are some who still know how. Pick your love, take them out. Some will push wet in the water beside you. Some will pull, heaving with the boat, creaking with the oars. Some will merely watch from the shore. There is a grey light out over the liquid, the shunt and the spill of the raft. With wet, trembling fingers, light the match that will burn twice. Whoa! Cheap dogs, resounding everyone up. Have you ever been to the front? I'm not a very good cheap dog, dog, dog. Yes. No, I'm not really. No, I come from a family of farmers, and all of our dogs were absolutely crap at doing anything they wanted to do on a farm, including running up the cows. So um, I never had any role models in my life to be a good sheepdog or a good cow dog. I thought you'd have the intelligence to be able to do it. Unfortunately, you overrate my intelligence. We are back. We're back. Oh, I haven't got any bios. Oh, no. Paul. Uh, we've got a usurper, Paul. Uh, I think I can remember it because it was quite short and... He's from the UK. He's from the UK. Oh, here we go. Oh, there. Paul did write a bio. He did write a bio. Yeah, I left it there. But and it's really well written because you can actually read it. That's when you learn English in England. That's what happens. 
from the UK and very excited to be making a home. Thank you, Roland. Sorry. Home to Roland. Sorry. A lot of people learn English in England. You don't write in that way or say it in that way. So lots of different people learn English. Name me someone who hasn't written this way who's English. We're talking about English or English? Are you racially profiling people? Like, what is English? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yes. Oh, I think he's won the crowd over. Oh, I'm helping my I'll just keep I'm reading. Going. Hopes to write poetry that raises a smile as well as an issue. And here's Paul. And he didn't have an accent or I'll be disappointed. I don't know if I can get any deeper than that, I have to say. Uh, so, real pleasure to be here. We just moved here uh, not long ago. Uh, it's a real pleasure to, to Stormstein to be amongst some of the really talented poets who've, uh, who've been on tonight, so thank you. Um, a lot of my stuff um, I wrote in the UK, so a lot of it's We're timing you already, so it's right. six minutes. <laughs> Honestly, I'll be quick, I've only got one. Um, so it's got um, UK uh, cultural points, but yeah, um, you're all big into swimming here. You have swimming lessons from when you're really young. Is that right? You meant to do that thing where you have to do a test and you dive down and get a brick from the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. This might promise. This might go over. It's, uh, Herald. The Herald. This is it's what? The Herald. We get the Herald. Okay. It's that was similar across and then you go to think and so on. Anyway, I'm times. So uh, this is called uh, Learn to Want to Swim. I was a late starter with swimming. I'd sit on the coach in my primary school uniform, dreading the drenching. Both physical and emotional, I would endure thinking one well, much for into being a good swimmer. I was never a winner at sports, at school, and my time spent at the boys' college pool was no exception. I suppose when you're with hardly a friend, being stuck in the shallow end is a good metaphor for your failed social climb, although I never really thought about it like that at the time, mainly because I didn't know what this metaphor was. <laughs> but recently, though, I've started to think that living your life is like being dropped in the drink. You can't be afraid of getting wet hair. And you've got to swim fast to get in there. Because if there's no one around, then the tide's going out. You're on your own. And there's no boat to shout for. If there's no water winds or lifeboats to look out for, you're going to have to swim. So don't go splashing around and getting annoyed because moving on is something that you just can't avoid. And there's lots about swimming that can be enjoyed. When you're down in the dumps, because you were the dumper, you traffic down emotions and press bumper to bumper when you're in a situation you can't see coming to an end. If it's the million pound question, you've already asked the audience coffee for 15 phone a friend. When big bad wolves blow down your house, if you can't double click on the icon that you want because the lights fell off your mouse, when you love them, but they just love dismantling your psyche. When you're two stops out of the free tram zone and you haven't got your mic <laughs> Try to remember shit happens. And we can't let it around us. And sometimes you have to tread water for five minutes in your pajamas. But you'll do it. You'll get through it. And at the end of it all, you'll get this little cloth badge to prove it and you wear it with pride. It shows how boring you are on the inside and how hard you tried. Because the best that you can do is the best that you can do. No one can ask for any more. Not even you, so stop moping. Don't go living with your misery. You've got to pull your socks off, get a towel, get a haircut, hire a van, and move out of this dirty place in which you're living. 
Take some of that advice that you seem so good at giving. Stop paddling in the shallows where it's easier to win. You've got to learn to want to breaststroke, backstroke, butterfly, crawl, dog paddle when they pop. You can do them all, but without the will to stay afloat, they mean nothing at all. You've got to learn to want to swim. Surely someone here will give them to you for that. Thank you. Who's up next? Um, Vincent. Vincent? Vincent Salt? Vincent. Would you like to read this? I can read this, but we also know Vinny from other ways. Vinny is also Quinny Bonbon's like tech mania expert. Tech mania? Well, basically it turns out. Tech mania? Wow. Sets the set up, makes Queenie Bonbon look like the absolute queen that she is. And uh, every show she does is partly to do with the fact that Vincent turns up here every day and sets it up and makes it so good and look good. You're you're a tech junkie. (laughs) I'm a tech admirer. A tech admirer. Vincent Silk is a writer living in... Melbourne. Melbourne. Tonight he will be reading an excerpt from a short story about community organising. And here is Vincent. But like I said to my friend, if you um, something reminds you, you just say bye to yourself. And you... <laughs> <laughs> um, Robin put the kettle on and went on the stove and went outside. The water evaporated and the kettle melted. The stench of burning paint, bringing everyone out of their rooms, waving their hands in front of their noses, asking each other, "Why did we even have a stovetop kettle? It's a hazard." Robin was lying on a threadbare rug in the backyard, pouring over an ancient mailbox. Tracing careful lines and marking careful dots. If you can't stand failure, then you better look away. Sometimes it's impossible to succeed. Sometimes you can't even find anyone to pay you the smallest amount of money to do a simple task for you. Robin has begun to think of her new friend from the collective, Little Graham, as that beautiful new person in her life, with flames all over their jacket. Aesthetically, she thought, there's nothing more satisfying to me than flames. I love them airbrushed on cars, <laughs> tattooed on ankles, applicate on garments, I like them blue or red, whatever colour really. Bobo retweets this. Why I didn't follow you back. Missed your follow count, untick box. Follow count is at a lucky number, untick box. Your youthful beauty reminds me of my decaying form, tick box. <laughs> then he instantly feels this crushing guilt that he's broken his no subtweets 2017 credo already. And Little Graham doesn't even have Twitter. My form isn't even decaying, he yells into the mirror. Little Graham has told himself that he's not buying what they're selling, but he knew that he was that porous. If they come too close to me, they'll get absorbed. He had frog skin. The next time the three of them met, it was in Bobo's backyard. They were meant to have dinner together and go out to put up flyers for the fundraiser. 
but somehow they were all in the fundraiser promo subcommittee, as well as all the other committees. But Bobo and Robin had had a fight. Graham looked awkwardly at the ground, trying not to listen. He moved closer to the fire, poking it with a stick. When Robin left, Bobo was angry. He pulled up a chunk of wood to use as a seat and swung between spouting guilty apologies and glaring sullenly into the fire, putting his boot closer and closer to the edge. Graham's eyes were glued to this boot. It made him nervous. He didn't know any first aid. He only knew that chewing parsley can make your period come with blood. That's actually all. Robin's mean words were hanging heavily in the air. Well, you're not magical at all. Bobo stared at the fire, thinking about Robin. He remembered their working holiday from last summer. She needed him out of the hotel room for 30 minutes, so he sneaked down to the pool. It was a rooftop pool, in that it was outdoors and at the top of the building, but the hotel was made of four buildings, and the other three kept going on either side. He stood against the wall, checked that nobody was there, and when he was sure that he was alone, he let the hotel robe drop and pulled off his shirt and shorts and dived in. He swam the length of the pool underwater, then came up for air and bobbed in the deep end. With the sides of the hotel extending up into the sky, it was like being down a deep hole. He swam a bit more, then got out and wandered around the hotel until it was time to go back to the room, leaving little foot-shaped puddles on the carpet and shaking the droplets out of his hair. Back in the room, he looked out the window and saw how well lit the pool was, and then realised that anyone swimming in it would be illuminated brightly from below, framed in iridescent blue, and that every window of every room looked in the hotel looked directly down into the pool. He hated sports perspective change like that. <laughs> it was officially over. Robin had cracked the sheet. They still had to see each other at collective meetings, but it wasn't the same. I'm shattered, Bobo said. He and Graham were picking up ciggy butts and bottle caps after the fundraiser, like two hens pecking the floor, plastic bags dangling from their hands. Friendship breakups are the worst, he said. There's less of a like formal social framework to deal with it, you know? I thought you two were sleeping together. He remembered the bumper sticker he got Robin that said, dinner is ready when the smoke alarm goes off. <laughs> she didn't think it was funny, and neither of them had cut. <laughs> Things like this that you do just to piss yourself off, torture yourself, like pick your scabs. You have to draw your own conclusions, and you have to come to your own sense. When the fundraiser got busted, they were all issued fines for trespassing, vandalism. They even fined Robin for jaywalking after she left the building. Robin collected all the fines from everyone, saying she would do it. All day long, she lounged in her room, wrapping the fines around her soul. And every day after that, she would check on how they were done. How the paper took on the salt, how it swelled up and thickened, how the salt crystallised and its skin cracked. She liked seeing the ink soften and bleed into the thin paper, like red and blue points. Thank you. Hello, our final reader for tonight. Just getting a little Sorry, bit. Just, just, I was going to do this very professionally for you tonight. All right. So, I've got a couple of words. Oh. Should we say a couple of things? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a ball of wax next Saturday night, Yana Alana. Do we need to say anything more? Yes. Yana Alana. Who else? John Jackson. And? Dan Drogeny. And? Marky J. White. And? Mike, who else, please? Oh dear. Our doorbitch tonight. Sorry? Six inches. Six inches. Six inches and a cut. Jack Levy. And Ziggy Disco Balls. Ziggy Disco Balls. Stalling. DJ Narcissus. 
DJ Nasasik and Gavin Campbell. And I think that, that, that's, that's enough. That's enough. I don't know what we're doing. But we're there. We're there. Yeah. yeah. Now, what else would you like to say? Um, not much more, actually. I think well, I think it's been quite a good 39. Yes, 39. Do you think it's been a good fire? Hardy. Hardy Tibby is a 75-year-old radical lesbian feminist. She came to Australia, as she told the immigration agent, to see a platypus and meet Aussie Lezos. <laughs> Melbourne is her new home now. Is, it, is, it, is her home now? I almost got it right, but I did. Well done, Roland. <laughs> Big round of applause for Roland. No, 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 no. This is my first ever thing I've written. during the 1960s and 1970s in southwestern Los Angeles because they were the foundations of lesbian life and culture then. There was a lot of drinking. Mercifully, I got sober along the way. And dancing and socializing. There were softball teams and pool teams and camping trips and shows, usually fundraisers, for someone who had to move or had been fired or was injured or in strife. Even though most activities were at the weekends, you could go there anytime and find companionship, even if only from the barmaid. The bars offered beer and passion. They offered sanctuary. We found belonging. I loved that time and those places. I loved myself at that time. But it's so far back, it's almost a folktale or a myth. But it was real and I was there. In 1963-4, I was 22 years old. I had just figured out I was a lesbian and was taken out dancing by a lesbian couple I'd met to the Starlight Room in Vermont, on, on Vermont Boulevard in Southern Los Angeles. I started going there often, made friends, still too shy to try sex with anyone, and went to other bars with them and started getting acquainted with gay life. Here are some generalizations about the bars then. They all had beer, 25 cents a glass, and a dollar a pitcher. Some had wine, but I never saw anyone drinking any. And some few had booze. A pool table was a constant feature, and they were usually in out-of-the-way, dark places. Almost uh, all the bars were bastions and upholders of butch femme tradition. At the starlight room inside, there was a longish bar with 10 or 12 stools 
usually with men and straight couples sitting there. There was a large archway into the big room on the right with a dangly, clacky, bearded curtain, and only women could go in there. Most women wore slacks of some sort. Zipper front and side were code for butch or femme. Some wore dresses or skirts. Other codes were white socks for butchers and pinky rings for everyone. <laughs> Through the bearded curtain, there you were in lesbian heaven. <laughs> I won't read the descriptions of the other bars because it goes on a bit. So I'll just say the names. Well, the candle room was so small, it didn't even have a pool table. It had absolutely nothing to recommend it, except that that was where the lesbians went. <laughs> a lesbian who frequented that place sang beautifully to the jukebox. Her specialty was Dinah Washington. We all went quiet when she sang. Many of us cried, and she was bought more beers than any human being could possibly drink. The club on Western Avenue in Gardena had a burned-out neon sign and was located between a laundromat and a lumber mill. It became my home bar. I met my first great love, Cecilia, at the club. The merry-go-round, Bev's in the valley, Scotty's on the beach walk in Venice, the Venetian room and the Quesera in Long Beach. The Blue Fox, the Diamond Horseshoe, the Palms. In the early 1970s, the bars I went to were more the disco bars, and by 1975, the community I identified with became the newly emerging political one. I moved quickly. Within a year from being a closeted Bardike schoolteacher to becoming an unemployed, radical, lesbian, feminist activist. <laughs> My life changed focus, but still, but rarely, I went to the bars. They didn't feel like home anymore, but I do not forget the dear faces in those places of my first lesbian belonging. What became home for me were the places of community, cultural, political activism, like the Gay Community Services Center, the Alcoholism Center for Women, and the Women's Building, with all the dances, marches, demos, meetings, ideas, ideals, and exuberance. So, in my mid-30s, my life moved from being centered in dark, secret places into a world we were making our own out in the open. Melbourne is a shameful place because we don't have those lesbian bars in Melbourne anymore. Like, where do fucking women go these days if they want to just go out? Are you asking me? Yeah, basically. <laughs> anyone? Seriously? We have been to a lesbian bar in LA. We did. Yes. And it had a pool table. Yes, it did. And a car park. <laughs> and we there. I can't remember. We were really drunk. <laughs> I think we were. 
Thank you so much for tonight. What's happening tomorrow night, Rob? Tomorrow night we have uh, our Tuesday forums, which we've been having. We haven't really because they've been cancelled, but we're having one tomorrow night. <laughs> and who's speaking tomorrow night, Christina? Well, we Jess Isaac. And, yes. and uh, we can Yes. And, um, anyone who wants to turn up and talk can talk, actually. Oh. It's our world. Oh. We didn't organise it. But, we didn't cancel it. But come along tomorrow night and talk. It's a free night. It's about letting the outside voices of the world talk. Ooh. Oh. And on Wednesday we have cribbings. Thursday and Friday we have gender. And um, Sunday we have we play reading strangers somewhere. That's true. <laughs> and next week we have a whole new program as well. Yeah. So we'd like to thank all the readers tonight. They'll come up to when you get a photo. Oh, my God. Are you ready for that, Mike? Mike, are you ready to take the photo? Yeah. Okay. okay. But shouldn't we just cancel, oh, like, finish the night and then people don't feel, have to feel obligated to see the So oh, thank you. I've got a little bit of agency at last. <laughs> oh. But anyway, uh, we'd like to thank everyone and... Oh, Christine, help. All right, okay. <laughs> Would the writers please stand behind? Anyone who is still here will take your photo so it's immoral, immortalized. Yes. Immortalized. Yes. And, um, and thank you so much for coming tonight and for all the writers that are amazing. It was fantastic. So if uh, readers could now come up and the rest is kind of like just mingle all the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>